Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Then There Were Two, a History of the World Series. I'm Jeffrey Clark, being joined virtually by Lucas Mitzel, as always. And Lucas, we are going to see the continuation of the rebirth of Connie Max Philadelphia Athletics. Ooh, another rebirth. I like it. And we get another year of the uh, Cornelius McGillicuddy Secret Dakota ring. Shout out to my dad. Very funny stuff. And we have some not-so-funny stuff to the rest of the American League because the A's win the pennant once again, like we said, just like last year. Jimmy Fox, Mickey Cochran, and Al Simmons are the ones doing most of the damage. Fox and Simmons combined for 321 ribbies and 73 homers. Cochran bats 357. Then you have Max Bishop second in walks to Babe Ruth with 128, and he scored 117 runs. And the ace pitching staff was actually not very dominant this year. Three of their stars had ERAs well over four. And Lefty Grove was the outlier to that. And he had a season that any pitcher would love to have either now or back then. He went 28-5 and to lead the AL in wins, winning percentage, game strikeouts, and saves in a year when the overall American League ERA rose by nearly half a run. Grove's ERA was lowered by .27 from the previous year to 2.54. He lowered his walks total by 21 and increased his strikeouts by 39. So pretty much you've got a whole mess of hitters doing the damage along with Lefty Grove as the cherry on top. Yeah, well, Lefty Grove's got to get his work in considering that uh, we mentioned in last week's episode, Connie Mack went uh, right-handed pitcher heavy to counter the... uh, Cubs bats and it ended up working out pretty well for them that year and yeah looking at the rest of this rotation George Earnshaw probably the next best guy a 22 and 13 mark struck out 193 Lefty Grove struck out 209 guys just as a uh, point of comparison but a 4.44 ERA and you you mentioned the high numbers the uh, A's as a staff turned in a 428 ERA in 1930 so we are definitely out of the dead ball era. And just kind of a spoiler alert here, the baseball would be dense the next year, so power numbers would dip a little bit after that. But just going by the numbers individually, we talked about the combined numbers. Cochran hit 357, like we said. Simmons hits 381 at 165 RBIs. Jimmy Fox hitting 335 with 156 RBIs. Nine saves for Lefty Grove before saves were an official stat. So, again, you have these guys who are just tearing it up, and I have to imagine that even though Connie Mack is getting older, he's not losing it at all. No, absolutely not, and we mentioned in last week's episode how he had sold off the entire team following uh, 1914, and here he is, decade and a half later, he's right back at it, and the uh, tall tactician off to a good start, and we'll see if he can pull it off again. Well, he'll have to pull it off against the St. Louis Cardinals, who seem to be making the World Series in even years now, because they made it in 26, they made it in 28, and here they are again in 1930. And they had eight hitters hitting over 300, but only Chick Haffey made the top four in a major hitting category. He was fourth in slugging percentage, and you had five pitchers between 12 and 15 wins. And that was enough to win the National League pennant for the Cardinals. I mean, yes, it would be nice to have some more players that rank amongst the top players in their respective categories. But 
when you really put it all together, you end up with a pennant winner. It doesn't have to be spectacular. You just have to have everybody produce it once. And that's exactly what the Cardinals have done here. And that seems like something that they do all the time, even in the modern day as well. And we've talked about a lot of names here. You know, Chick Hafey with a team-high 26 home runs, uh, 15 for Jim Bottomley. Frankie Frisch with 10, driving in a team-high 114 runs, hit 346. George Fisher hitting 374 in 92 games. There's pieces here. Team hit 314 for the campaign, but we talked about pitching, and the Cardinals weren't really any better than the Philadelphia Athletics this year. They, as a staff, posted a 439 ERA and only one guy with a sub-4 ERA in uh, Herman Bell, and even he was at 390 in 39 appearances. Only nine of those were starts. Gus Mancuso, another reserve for the Cardinals, saying 366. You know what this kind of reminds me of, Lucas? Because, you know, he's a reserve. It kind of reminds me of a few years ago, because I have Sirius XM. So when the baseball playoffs roll around, I often listen to, like, certain teams' playoff feeds while they're being played. And oftentimes they'll cut promos for whatever team's channel it is. So in the case of the Cardinals a few years ago, I remember... One said, you'll have baseball fans the world over asking, like, who the heck is Tommy Edmond? So I have to feel like the CSX that existed in 1930, people have been like, who the heck is Gus Mancuso or who the heck is Showboat Fisher? So like you said, Lucas, this does seem to be in line with the Cardinals history of seemingly random players producing big time for them. Gus Mancuso, just to pick a random example here uh he was a catcher this was his i guess first real full year in the big leagues had a cup of coffee with the cardinals in 1928 appeared in 76 games in 1930 he made a couple of all-star teams with the new york giants in the 30s uh, finished in the top 17 of the mvp voting four times a couple of top 10 finishes interspersed in there as well i mean not a terrible career all things considered he's just i guess better remembered as a giant probably than he was as a cardinal but he was a cardinal this year and that's all that matters at the moment so let's get to it lefty grove after not starting any games in the 1929 world series finally gets a world series start and he starts the opener of the 1930 series at scheib park and he throws 119 pitches to go the distance in a 5-2 victory. He gets his support from Cochran and Simmons, who both had home runs off of Burley Grimes. And he was one of four pitchers, by the way, who was still out to throw the spitball that year. So, you know, spitballs have been outlawed for some time now. But as we know, the spitball pitchers who already existed were grandfathered in. So a very rare pitcher at this point in baseball history but uh, like I said that spitball was no match for the A's power heavy offense by the way five runs on five hits compared to two runs on nine hits for the Cardinals so talk about being very efficient on offense well and especially when you consider that all five of those hits went for extra bases you had uh, Jimmy Dykes with a double Jimmy Fox and Mule Haas, each with triples, and then Al Simmons and Mickey Cochran homering for the Athletics in this one. You had the two runs off of Lefty Grove. It was a pair of sacrifice flies in the top of the third as 
the Cardinals were able to get the bases loaded with nobody out, were able to manufacture a couple of runs and take a brief lead, but Al Simmons ended up tying the game with his home run. That happened in the bottom of the fourth. Jimmy Dykes' double in the bottom of the sixth gave the Athletics the lead that they would not relinquish. We go to game two, and I'm just going to say this ahead of time. Both teams committed two errors in game two. Drink. And as for the rest of the game, the A's increased their series to 2-0. George Earnshaw, who had been overshadowed by Grove despite winning 22 games during the regular season, he gave up six hits and won by a score of 6-1. to So not really a whole lot to write home about. I mean, Cochran, it's a home run to support the cause for the A's. But other than that, not a whole lot of memorable moments in this game, too. Yeah, the Cochran home run ended up giving the A's the lead that they would not relinquish. Jimmy Fox adding a RBI double later that inning made it 2-0. The one blemish on Earnshaw's record was giving up a solo home run with one out in the top of the second to George Watkins. We go to St. Louis for Game 3, and the Cardinals finally get on the board. You have Bill Hallahan, who was an erratic fire-powering southpaw, and he had led the NL in walks and strikeouts, so talk about two things canceling each other out. Easily dominated the game, 5-2, nothing victory, so the Cardinals are on the board in this series at a time they desperately need to get on the board. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that Hallahan led the league in uh, walks and strikeouts, and he showed it with his line in this one, a, a complete game, seven-hit shutout. He walked five. And he struck out six. That seems like really like a what-if sports pitcher line for uh, those of you familiar with the program. If you go back to our 1904 World Series where I ended up simulating. So the Cardinals are on the board in this series. And with the series fate possibly hanging the balance, Mac goes back to Grove for game four. But Jimmy Dykes, the third baseman for the A's, he had an error that led to two unearned runs. And Jesse Haynes, the Cardinals pitcher, he held the A's to four hits, one by a score of 3-1. to one. So a couple of dominant pitching performances by Hallahan and Haynes have nodded the series up at two apiece. And not only that, they've held the A's to one run between those two games. Yeah, that... Uh... One run for the A's coming in the top of the first, an Al Simmons RBI single. And then you mentioned the error. It was on a throw to first base after uh, Lefty Grove managed to get the first two guys out in the bottom of the fourth, but Chick Hafey with a ground rule double. And then with Ray Blades at the plate, the uh, throw to first base was Aaron Hafey came around to score. And Blades would come around to score after singles by Jimmy Wilson and Charlie Gilbert. So we go to Game 5 with control of the series hanging in the balance for sure this time. You have Grimes and Earnshaw going up against each other. The score is tied at nothing nothing after 8th. But then at the top of the ninth, you get a runner on first. Grimes is facing Jimmy Fox. Grimes is mostly a fastball and spitball pitcher. And he had struck out Fox on a curve in the 7th. They try to take another curve past him. But Fox was ready for it on the first pitch. He hit the ball into the bleachers, gave the A's a 2-0 lead. That was the extent of the scoring for that game. 
Grove was in the game because Earnshaw had been removed for a pinch hitter. He held the Cardinals down for the final two innings, and that gave him the victory for this game. So, you talk about momentum shift at a critical point in the series. That was it. You had the two big guns for the A's on both the hitting and pitching sides coming through when they absolutely needed to. If you were a Cardinals fan or a member of the Cardinals at this point, you had to really feel good through eight where your pitching staff has held the athletics to just a single run through 26 innings, and then you get the wind knocked out of your sails. And in fact, Burley Grimes said a little bit after this game that uh, Fox hit it so hard he couldn't feel sorry for himself. Well, sometimes you just got to tip your cap. That's pretty much what... Baseball players do, and they're classy anyway. So we go back to Philadelphia for Game 6. The A's have a chance to win their second straight World Series at home. Mac goes to George Earnshaw, and he had pitched very well in the previous game for seven innings, like we said. But it doesn't matter that he started for a second straight game because the A's pounded Hallahan and Sylvester Johnson for the Cardinals. Five doubles, two homers in the first six innings. Earnshaw, despite pitching on short rest, went the distance. The Carlos scored only one run on five hits. His third masterful pitching outing of the series. And the A's win the World Series by a score of 7-1. So you have Dykes and Simmons hitting home runs for the A's. And the A's were just not to be denied this year and especially not on that afternoon. No, 100%. And it's, you know, after a solid outing, his first time out, Bill Hallahan, like you mentioned, kind of got lit up, gave up a couple of RBI doubles in the bottom of the first one to Mickey Cochran, the other to Bing Miller, and was lifted for a pinch hitter in the top of the third as the Cardinals were just trying to get a little bit of something going. But the A's able to just keep it going. Al Simmons with a homer leading off the bottom of the third. Uh, you mentioned Jimmy Dykes homering. That came a two-run shot with one out in the bottom of the fourth. At that point, it's 5 nothing, and you can order the autopsy of the Cardinals from that point. So we have a very pitching-heavy series when all is said and done. Grove and Earnshaw combined for a former record and a 1.02 ERA. I think you could easily split World Series MVP honors between those two had the award be given out this year. I would probably agree with that. I mean, looking at the hitters for the A's, there really isn't anybody that stands out a ton. I mean, you have Mickey Cochran homering a couple of times. You have Al Simmons homering a couple of times. And yeah, he hit 364. But given the dominant pitching performance in the combination of Earnshaw and Grove. Yeah, I would definitely say co-MVP honors to those guys. Uh, they struck out a combined 29 Cardinals in their 44 innings of work. Ironically, the Cardinals had a better batting average in this series, but that's not saying much because the Cardinals hit 200, the A's hit 197. But in, you mentioned this point earlier, Lucas, in one of the games, 18 of the A's 35 hits went for extra bases, which allowed them to outscore the Cardinals 21-12 to in this series. Simmons and Cochran, you mentioned the two home runs they both had. They both also had four RBIs. Grove and Earnshaw's respective ERAs were 1.42, and .72. So how do you possibly catch up with a pitching tandem like that, especially when 
you are seeing them for five of the six games that are being played in this series. Well, I mean, you hope for a little bit better numbers than what you got. I mean, Bill Hallahan, we mentioned the uh, two starts he had. He finished 1-1. One one. Had a 164 ERA, but we mentioned the 11 innings pitched and getting lit up a little bit there early in the clincher. Jesse Haynes made one start, uh, won a game, went the distance, allowed just a single run, had an ERA of one. Burley Grimes at 371. I mean, a team ERA of 335, which in a vacuum isn't bad. But again, given that one-two punch of Earnshaw and Grove, you need to do better than a 335 ERA as a team. Another thing with Earnshaw, he pitched 25 innings, allowing 13 hits. But we have to acknowledge one other possible X factor in this series, Lucas. Connie Mack, and I have no idea what his political leanings were, but he attributed the triumph of his team to the presence of President Herbert Hoover because he witnessed three ace victories during the regular season. And at a time when the Great Depression is just getting underway, that's a pretty bold statement. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we talked... Really, like the political leanings haven't appeared that much other than I think it was the 1924 World Series when the Senators were able to have that uh, miraculous and wacky uh, Game 7. Yeah, when we uh, had Calvin Coolidge being the uh, lucky charm for the Senators in that one. But honestly, how much do you think Herbert Hoover would have played a factor into this? On a scale of 0 to 10, maybe 0 0.1. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a morale thing there, but I wouldn't imagine that it would be anywhere near that much to totally swing things. I mean, it's just, you got to give a lot more credit to, again, that one-two punch of Earnshaw and Grove than I would to a president just happening to be present for these games. I think the perfect way to end this episode is a quote from Callahan as he was talking about the A's. They were sure a great team, but we had a secret weapon waiting for them. We played them in the series again the next year. The name of the weapon was Pepper Martin. Ooh, it's called foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, and we are going to wrap up this very short episode now. I think Mr. Hallahan has already uh, previewed the next episode for us, the Cardinals and A's meeting up again. And like you said, foreshadowing on the part of Mr. Hallahan. Indeed. So for Lucas Bitzel, I'm Jeffrey Clark. Thank you for listening to our 1930 episode. Then there were two, a history of the World Series. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us as well. We'll see you next time. <laughs>